to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Last time, we saw that the afterlife, according to the Old and New Testament, is a bodily life. What is perhaps strange to us because of the myths that have crept into modern Christian thought is absolutely basic to biblical hope. Eternal life involves a spirit-empowered bodily resurrection, one that is guaranteed by and in fact modelled on Jesus' own glorious resurrection body. Of course, all of this raises an obvious question. What happens in between death now and resurrection in God's future kingdom? Well, it might surprise some of us to learn that the Bible says hardly anything about that question. So great is its emphasis on resurrection as the defining reality of our hope beyond death. It's because of this that the Orthodox Church, you know, that's the Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox and so on, has historically taught an idea known as soul sleep. That is, those who die with faith in Christ sleep unconscious in the protective care of God until the day of resurrection. Now, this might sound pretty strange to us, but the Orthodox Church is just trying to do justice to the New Testament insistence that eternal life is resurrection life, and that the period between death and resurrection is described in the New Testament as sleep. Lots of passages say that. Acts 13, 36, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. 1 Thessalonians 4.15 and 2 Peter 3.4 The majority of theologians, though, insist that in between death and the day of resurrection, departed believers are consciously at rest as spirits in the presence of God in heaven. This is known in theology as the doctrine of the intermediate state, and it's hinted at in three passages. The first is Luke 23, where Jesus makes a promise to the criminal crucified next to him. Luke 23:42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, you could argue that the word today here refers to the resurrection day. Since, on the soul sleep view, the next thing the criminal is going to know about will be rising to life in God's kingdom. But, frankly, that doesn't seem to be the natural sense of these words. It really does seem as though Jesus is promising paradise for this man at the moment of his death, prior to the resurrection day. And for this to be paradise, it would probably have to be a conscious experience. The second passage is from Paul, who explains to the Philippians that in some ways, death is preferable to life. This is Philippians 1, 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. A similar preference for death over life appears in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. 
We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Again, you could interpret these two passages to mean that following death, the next thing we'll know is resurrection life, at home with the Lord in God's kingdom. But this is not an obvious way to read these passages. It really does seem as though Paul is teaching that in between death now and resurrection at the end of history, believers are in some sense with Christ, at home with the Lord, in a state that is preferable to life here and now. It's not yet the glorious resurrection life when God's kingdom comes, but it's still a wonderful experience, which implies consciousness on the part of those who die in Christ. There is a fourth passage that is sometimes thought to indicate consciousness in between death and resurrection. It's Jesus' famous parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. In the parable, the rich man who neglected Lazarus's poverty dies and goes to the place of the dead, Hades, we're told. Um, Lazarus also dies and goes to Abraham's side in heaven. Now, in the parable, a conversation breaks out between the rich man, who's in torment, and Abraham, who's in heaven. And the punchline of the conversation is that once you're dead, there's no crossing over from one side to the other. Now, the problem with getting any afterlife theology out of this story is that it's a parable. It's an entirely imaginative scenario designed to offer a practical lesson. Decide now before it's too late. Taking the parable literally would involve all sorts of absurdities, not the least of which is accepting the idea that the unsaved and the saved are in cooey of each other. Well, leaving Luke 16 to one side, the bottom line is this. Whatever the case for those outside of Christ, those who die with Christ's mercy, rest consciously in paradise at home with the Lord. That is, until their resurrection in God's new creation. I have to conclude by emphasising that this intermediate state is exactly what the terminology suggests. It is a temporary arrangement until all the dead are raised for judgment. Those who are outside of Christ will then be condemned in proportion to their deeds. And those who are in Christ, those who are Christians, will be saved from condemnation because of Jesus' death. And they'll enjoy a transformed bodily existence, guaranteed by and modelled on Jesus' resurrection. Put simply, eternal life in the Bible is the resurrection life that follows what we normally think of as life after death. Hope 103.2 Thanks for listening.